Hello and welcome into the Lions Lair. We are here recording live in our state college studio, remote office of the Center Daily Times, aka my apartment. I am joined today by John Sauber. John, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful, uh, which is honestly not a frequent response that I give on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Sixers won last night. I am continually elbowing this this doorknob behind me uh yeah. for those who will hear it probably throughout the <laughs> podcast but uh no i you know i'm, I'm doing really well how are you is the real question uh, nobody every you always no ask one, us how we're doing how no are one you asks doing me how i'm doing i just turned 22 my birthday was yesterday it's i terrifying. had an incredible birthday i am officially washed up now once you pass your 21st birthday every birthday after that does not matter that's actually true and so now i am officially old and just on my way to death, which is fine. Yeah, I turned I turned 27 in a few weeks, and it's basically since my 21st birthday, I've worked on my birthday like yeah. every year. It's just I don't even acknowledge that it exists. Other people are like happy birthday. I'm like, no thanks. Right. Just You're oh, like I'm good. I'll pass. Thanks, thanks for the. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move to tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And let's move on to Penn State's defense. What a just transition. to start that out, you know. Um, last week, of course, we did a little recap on this season's offense. Um, offensive play calling, all of that. And if you haven't gone and listened to that episode, I would highly recommend it. I think that it's a great starting point for reviewing the the season that Penn State football had. So let's start off this conversation with the big question for almost every you know piece of this Penn State team, replacing the players that are going to the draft and graduating. Where do we start with this, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of places we could theoretically start, right? Um, I think linebacker is probably the one people will point to most because they're missing two of their three starters from this past season. And I don't know, I'm sure this will go over well, but like, I just don't think linebackers are as valuable as like pass rushers and, and, uh, impact guys in the secondary. Um, you know, they're asked to do a lot, but you know, you can mask bad linebackers with a good pass rush. You can mask, uh, bad linebackers with with uh, good run stopper run stoppers excuse me uh, up front you can mask them with good coverage in the secondary and, and you know if those linebackers can cover a little bit that would help that too but I think you know this is always going to be a defense that's built to be aggressive under new defense coordinator Manny Diaz and we'll get to him later um, and I think that aggressiveness starts up front and I think that starts with replacing Arnold Epicady. Um and that's a, that, those are big shoes to fill yes probably the biggest uh Mocked in two recent mock drafts, one by Dane Brugler of The Athletic in the second round and one by Mal Kuyper Jr. of ESPN to the Eagles in the first round uh, at number 16 overall. Back so, to Philly. Yes, some huge shoes. And as an Eagles fan, wouldn't mind it, honestly. Very good pass rusher. <laughs> True. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is a sort of... The bright side for Penn State is they have that replacement on the roster and someone that was supposed to start across from Abby Katie this year. And Adisa Isaac, right? He's recovering from his... Uh, injury that I believe James Franklin described as a non-football injury uh, in the summer, you know, prior to um, prior to fall practice and all that. Um, and he, I would assume, would be ready to go for the season, even if it's not for spring ball. And I think that's going to put them in a position where you have you have that replacement, and you almost should be able to match some of that production right next year from that exact spot. Uh, Jesse Lucetta also contributed quite a bit at defensive end. Uh, Nick Tarburton probably going to take that spot at least temporarily. I would think that's a spot that they want to go to in the portal, though. Uh, I think Tarburton's at his best. Maybe you, you rotate him down inside on passing downs. You you rotate him in at defensive end, but he's not a full-time starter there. Uh, he'll, he'll produce, and he is a really hard worker, and you know he's, he's big, strong, and physical. But I don't know that he's the pass rusher you want on the outside. And I think the defensive line 
needs to be able to rush the passer. Um, you know, because they are going to be relatively weak at linebacker outside of Curtis Jacobs, which, you know, the, the other spot on the defensive line, of course, Derek D'Angelo not returning to Penn State. He was out of eligibility. So they're looking for a starter next to P.J. Mustafer. They have some guys on the roster and Devon Elise and Keziah Izzard who could take those spots and who essentially took those spots this year. Uh, we'll see if they can do it full time, but I do think it is going to be, you know, it's it's tough to fill those shoes, basically. Um, linebacker, like I said, you got Curtis Jacobs, right? And, and outside of that, you don't have a ton right now. Um, I think they're, they're probably going to look to Kobe King to fill some of that role. I think they're probably going to play a lot more 4-2-5 instead of 4-3, right? Put in two linebackers uh, instead of three, have five defensive backs. But, you know, uh, even if it's it's sort of going big nickel, which is adding a third safety instead of a third corner, I think that could work. But uh, Daquan Hardy is someone that's probably going to fill that, that sort of star position rule that they always talk about, which is essentially a nickel corner. It's a, a slot, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he filled it last year, but he also mentioned playing more safety, uh, which takes us to Jaquan Brisker and, and needing to find someone to replace him, right? Like next to Jair Brown, who admittedly is awesome, particularly awesome against the pass, also very good against the run. Um, but they're going to need another safety to step up. You're looking at Keaton Ellis. You're looking at Jalen Reed. You're looking at guys that have game experience, but, I mean, it's just unfair to expect them to play at that level just yet. Um, and then at corner, of course, replacing Tariq Castro-Fields. Again, another spot where the ready-made replacement is there. Kalen King played a lot this year, and he played really well at times as a true freshman. Probably going to step in, so you're looking at the secondary. That's probably King, Joey Porter Jr., one of Ellis or Reed, Daquan Hardy, and uh, Jair Brown. It's sort of your best vibe you can put out there, and then that allows you at linebacker to go Curtis Jacobs and then you know, maybe it's just him and Kobe King out there the entire time. And that sort of helps mitigate those losses at linebacker where the losses were more significant this year. Yeah. And that's a laundry list of replacements. And it a lot is. Of they lost a lot of make. guys. I mean, it's, it's a, that's a big transition for anyone. And what are a few things that this team needs to focus on when finding those replacements and, and areas that they need to kind of work on or change or bridge the gap? I think the biggest thing is going to be looking to the portal to find those spots because some of them, they, they just don't have the talent on the roster to get there right now. Um, and I think that's especially true at linebacker. You know, I think Kobe King is good. I don't know if he's ready to start, though. Uh, I think Jamari Budden can be good. I don't know if he's ready to start, though. You know, same can be said for Ellis. Same can be said for Reed. So I think they've got to go portal uh, shopping for some of these spots. Uh, now, the spring semester has already started. I don't know the, the sort of logistics of that and getting a guy in at this point. But I do think that they've got to improve uh, the talent level, uh, the the older talent level, I should say, because they do have talent in, in sort of the lower levels of the roster, um, the, the youth of the roster, if you will. Um, but, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. As far as internal improvement, like, I mean, those guys just got to be ready, right? Like the, some of it just comes down to experience. Some of it comes down to, like, their skill sets don't line up and, you know, you're, you're asking them to do more than – then you probably should. Like Kobe King, for instance, is really good against the run and is really good at calling a defense and getting guys set. But I, I, I worry about how he's going to play in pass coverage, right? So then you're looking at a situation where it's like, well, you know, are you a little deficient in the middle when it comes to if you drop into a zone or you ask him to cover a linebacker or a tight end, you know, and, and your your team isn't playing as well because of that. Um, so I think, honestly, their best bet is just to find different guys until those guys are ready. Unless, of course, they go into spring ball and those guys look ready. Um, and, and some of it will be experience. Some of it will be 
uh, doing stuff that they weren't asked to do before. Like Jalen Reed, for instance, like he was really good against the run. He's got to get better against the pass. Um, he's he's got to be better in zone coverage. He's got to be able to, uh, you know, sort of follow a quarterback size, not sort of jumping at everything that comes in front of him and trying to turn everything into a turnover, uh, but being being sort of safe, tagging his guys off to his to other defenders, making sure everything is sort of contained when they run a zone. Uh, he's got to, you know, and this is a tough ask, but you want him to be a little faster too in, in man coverage. And again, that's that's a lot to ask of someone to just get faster. So I think at all of these spots, there are positions basically where they need to, they need some level of internal improvement to feel comfortable, but their best bet might be external improvement and finding someone that can sort of fill those gaps that way. Uh, again, I don't know that that's as much the case at defensive end and defensive tackle, but I think when you look at those back end spots in the back seven, that's probably more true. So we know that absolutely nobody is staying, but who actually is staying? Because there are a few, there are a few names, including PJ Mustafer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is another one that announced on Christmas Day, which I'm sure all the sports writers in the world appreciated. Uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's a very Merry Christmas for Penn State fans. Uh, but Joey Porter Jr. coming back to start at corner, I know there was some sort of consternation over how he played this year. Um, the physical tools are there, though. Uh, he's just got to stop being so grabby, right, and <laughs> stop committing so many penalties. And then I think he, he will, right? I think that that should come with time. The other spot, obviously, is B.J. Mustafer. And he was... He was one of the best defensive tackles in the Big Ten this year. And then he suffered an injury against Iowa, and the run defense didn't look the same after that. The defense didn't look the same after that. Uh, and it's not just that he is a guy that sort of eats up space, right? He's a really good athlete. He's about 6'4", 310 pounds, I think is what he's listed at, and probably a little bigger than that at this point. Um, and he is big. He is physical. He wrestled in high school, so he knows sort of how to hand fight in the trenches, which is important. I think a lot of people lose sight of that, the – it's not just about your, your size and your strength and your speed. It's it's the technique and the ability to sort of disengage and, and, and tackle guys in the run game. It's the ability to disengage and, and beat a guy in the in, uh, when you're trying to pass a rush. Like, and he does that because he really sort of understands hand fighting and leverage. Um, and he's frankly really good. Uh, and Penn State will be better because he's back next year, assuming he's fully recovered from that undisclosed injury. But, you know, I, I think that is also – a key point to have a leader back, right? Like you have Jair Brown who can lead in the back end. And now you have PJ Mustafer who can sort of lead in the front four. Um, and those guys have voices that carry weight and PJ Mustafer has a voice that really carries weight, right? Like I, I, I you'd be hard pressed to find someone I think that doesn't like PJ. Um, he's a very kind kid, uh, seems to be a very good leader. Um, will no doubt be a captain again this coming season. Uh, and, and I think is going to be really impactful for Penn state up front and making sure that, you know, if if the pass rush doesn't sort of meet that standard from the edges, that they're getting a push from the inside that can sort of make up for some of those losses that they could potentially be facing. And if they do reach that standard on the outside, and then you're really getting pushed at, at three of the four spots, and then opponents are in trouble. What other, you know, captains are we looking at returning or, or people that we could see step up in some of those, you know, leadership roles? Yeah, I, I think, you know, Porter is one of those guys that sort of makes sense to do that, right? Because Tariq Castro-Fields had a voice that that carried a lot of weight. Um, you know, I already mentioned Brown sort of replacing Brisker in that role, but I, I think Curtis Jacobs will also be asked to do that at linebacker because he's the only starter coming back. Ellis right. Brooks, another guy that voice carried a lot of weight. Um, Jonathan Sutherland will help with some of that. He, he was a captain, but that was on special teams. It can be a little bit different. Um, 
but Joey, he's, he's been around long enough yeah, in the program right. to, to be a name that yeah. people respect. Right, and people know we'll put the work in. Uh, with Joey Porter Jr., though, I think it's sort of time to lead that room, and it's always interesting to see how that goes. Feels like Tariq Castro Fields has been there forever, right? Like, he, he played for a long time. He started for a long time. He got a ton of snaps when he played. Um, so I'll be curious to see what that leadership at the cornerback room looks like because Joey Porter Jr. wasn't asked to do that before. And who knows, maybe he isn't asked to do it again, right? Like maybe it's Kalen King that takes that step up. Step up. Maybe it's Johnny Dixon. Maybe it's someone else. But I, I do think it's probably going to fall onto Porter first and foremost, and then we'll see from there. Um, but Jacobs is going to have to do it at linebacker. And he said, you know, prior to the Outback Bowl that he's used to leading. He did it in high school. He's he's done it time and time again. And another kid that's very affable, uh, super easy to, to get along with, I think, for his teammates and, and should be able to step up into that role relatively seamlessly. The new keys, the keys have been left to the office to Manny Diaz, whatever, whatever other, you know, thing I can come up with. To, <laughs> Any other metaphor right, to explain this. I don't think either of those were good metaphors to explain it, but Manny Diaz taking over what was a pretty good defense. And, Top 10 defense in the country, I would say. Yeah, gutted by people leaving and, you know, tasked with keeping that prestige. You know, what do we see with, with Manny? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of it's going to look the same, right? Like he was one of the guys that brought the turnover chain to Miami. I hope there is something like that with Penn, Penn State. State I think, we I have think a history would, of chains here. That's true. The Jake Zembeck would would wear all the chains exactly. Uh, but uh, I, I think it would be a lot of fun uh, to have something like that at Penn State. I would I would find it amusing, anyways. Um, but I think part of that is like the, the crux of that is he wanted his defense to be aggressive. He wanted you trying to get turnovers. And James Franklin talks about getting turnovers and stuff like that. But the way they defended in the past, they didn't blitz a ton. If they did, they there were a lot of run blitzes. Like they weren't, they you know they didn't really run blitz much either. Like it was asking a lot at the back end to hold up their coverage in the front four to get there with their pass rush. Um, and I think Diaz is probably going to be a little more aggressive than that. I think you're going to see, you know, some, I, don't, I guess safe risks, right? Like trying to jump passes um, when when. It, time comes to do that trying to locate the ball in the air instead of sort of playing the man and knocking the ball out i think you're going to see cornerbacks probably try to play the ball in the air and go get it or break up the pass that way rather than you know playing the playing the wide receiver um i think you're going to see pass rushers get really aggressive in trying to get upfield i think we should see more blitzing it's it's hard to imagine seeing less blitzing and that's not a knock like they were excellent without blitzing much last year and in every year under brent pry but i think that'll be something we see so i think the theme of all of this is they're just going to be aggressive. They're going to try and force you into making mistakes. Some teams play defense waiting for you to make it make a mistake, which can be effective, especially when college quarterbacks really aren't that efficient, right? And they will make mistakes, and the same with playmakers and stuff on the outside. But and there are defenses that try to force those mistakes that because those guys aren't efficient, because they you know aren't sort of all NFL guys, you can push them into situations where they wouldn't have made a mistake otherwise. So I, I do think there is there are advantages and disadvantages. Like guys might get beat more. You know, you might be going for a pick and you might just miss the ball and give up another big play. Franklin talks about limiting big plays, but you know, if you're going you're trying to get more turnovers, inherently there are going to be more big plays because you're going to be trying to punch the ball out more. So it's going to be harder to tackle guys uh, on first contact and you'll be trying to play the ball more instead of the wide out. So it's going to be harder to bring guys down if they do make that catch. So transitioning to another new face, uh, special teams, Stacy Collins, um, taking over. What are we? What are we going to see there? And then we can transition to you know, again, who you know, replacing someone like Jordan Stout. Yeah, I, honestly, uh, 
I don't know that we're going to see much of a difference between Stacy Collins and Joe Lorg, and I think that's probably a good thing for Penn State. Uh, they were <laughs> Boise State, where Stacy Collins was a special teams coordinator last year, was really good in special teams. Penn State under Lorg last year, contrary to what people will say about the trick plays, was really good on special teams. Like they were, they made one trick play. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's better. That's I feel like that's better odds than most people. And and you always wonder who's calling for the trick play and who's just got to generate the trick play exactly. idea once. Once the call has been made that, okay, we're going to do a fake. And then, you know, the special teams coordinator probably has to decide what fake that is specifically, but still. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they'll, you know, from a coaching standpoint, like as long as you have a dedicated special teams coordinator and someone who really knows what they're doing, you should be a net positive on that end, right? Like you should be able to help out uh, from special teams. I think a lot of coaching staffs run into issues when they don't have a special teams coordinator that's solely doing that. It's like a special teams coordinator slash full-time linebackers coach. Whereas Collins is a special teams coordinator slash Nichols coach slash outside linebackers coach. So he's working with some guys, but he's really working, uh, you know, mostly with the special teams and helping those guys improve. So, you know, there's always potential for a step back and there's always potential variability. Uh, but I tend to think that they will probably be good on special teams again this year. Penn state losing Jordan stout. Who's going to replace him? And are there any other losses on special teams that you have any thoughts on? Yeah, I mean, to sort of dance around style, then we'll get there. Uh, they're losing their two bullets, which is the position people commonly call gunners on special teams. Penn State calls them bullets. Uh, Drew Hartlob and A.J. Litton no longer on the roster. Uh, no clarity, sort of, as to why. Um, yeah, just, just not on the roster anymore. Um, but they're going to have to replace those two guys, and that's probably not going to be easy. Like, they were both really good gunners. Like, they got down the field. They didn't commit penalties. Litton got called for some penalties that were uh, wrong, right, <laughs> like in that Wisconsin game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, those are going to be spots that are low-key important to replace. Um, Jahan Donson, obviously, is a punt returner. I, it, I've never seen someone so casually catch punts. It is, it, like, I would get legitimately excited in the press box when I would see it. It was so strange. Nobody else knew why I was getting so joyful. Like, it's very, it was so casual. Like, it was just like, oh, the ball is spinning wildly, and he's on the move, and it's over his shoulder. And, oh, he just has it. It's a fair catch. And, like, it was as if he should have dropped every single one. Uh, it was remarkable to watch, and I deeply enjoyed it. So I will miss that. Um, you could see he's Parker. Like, he's like Tyreek Hill, but, like, an elevated, like, I don't even know how to, how to explain it. But, I mean, they're but different. Tyreek Hill is like super intense, yes. right? Like, and he's like catching it, looking to go. John right. Dotson just out there casually catching everything that yeah. gets near him. Um, uh, <laughs> That's kind of his and it's whole so, career. Yeah, you're not wrong. But it's it's so hard to do with punts. And to watch someone just do it casually is, uh, like I said, I loved it. But uh, I think Parker Washington's a guy that could replace him from that standpoint. A little bit different type of returner. Sort of going to go through you rather than around you and make you miss. Um, but he's pretty sure-handed, and I know at times he didn't show that this year, but I would trust him back there if I were Penn State to get the job done. Stout's the tough one, though, yeah. because you're replacing – I mean, I guess they they sort of replaced him as a as a place kicker by the end of the year, and Jake Pinnegar had taken that role over, but we'll see if that's still the case next season. Uh, you're replacing him as a kickoff specialist. You're replacing him as a punter. So it's sort of just to, to go through those positions – I think at punter, you're, you're probably looking at Alex Pachetta, the, the incoming freshman. Uh, you're kind of hoping that he takes that job right away and that he can run with it. Um, if not, then who knows? But I, I do think Pachetta is going to be sort of their best option uh, in that role. Uh, kickoff specialists, it, it's always tougher to, to sort of 
know, right? Like we don't see those guys in kick kickoffs. It might be Bachetta. It might be uh, Sandra Sahidek, who was a five-star kicker coming out of high school uh, in the class of 2021, I believe. Um, it, it might be Jake Penninger. Like we just don't know. Whoever's got the strongest leg that's got to be doing that job because Jordan Stout was phenomenal there uh, in his time at Penn State. And that, you know, that, that place kicking rule, probably going to be between Penninger and Sandra Sahidek. Uh, Sahidek, like I said, highly touted, um, would think that he's in a position to take the job now that he's had time on campus and he's made that transition, but you never know how special team, you don't know how any position transitions to college. It's even tougher with kickers uh, and punters when you just don't see that many reps, like you're not seeing it in action enough. So you really don't know. But I think basically right now, if I had to guess, it would be the educated guess would be Sahidek's place kicking Somebody is kicking off, right? <laughs> like right. Maybe Sahidek or Bachetta, and then Bachetta, the Bachetta is punting um, against Purdue to open the season. But it's it's going to be tough. Jordan Stout was an awesome punter this year. He was an awesome uh, kickoff specialist, and you know their their place kicking wasn't great, but they still got to figure that out. I would love to hear your grade for this defense this past season. I mean. You know, a lot of people have said a lot of things about it, but I know we like we did last episode out of 10 and then just a quick explanation and and some of the highlights and things that you really appreciated about this defense and didn't appreciate too. (laughs) I I think it's I mean, it's hard not to give it a 10, right? Like, I mean, they were really good. They got to the quarterback. They covered well. Um, They had the best starting safety tandem in the country. Like, I mean, it was awesome. And right. And they were. Uh, they were really good at every level. So I would I would frankly give it a 10. Uh, as sort of my favorite parts of that defense, though, were that safety combo. It's hard to trust two guys on the back end that much. It's hard to trust them that they're going to be able to help and run support, that they're going to know what's going to happen, that they're going to diagnose plays, that they're going to get after, uh, you know, balls that are sort of up for grabs in the open field. Like, But they did it, and they were both ridiculously good this year. Um, and I don't think Penn State fans should take that for granted, just how good Brisker and Brown were this year. Um, the deficiencies, uh, I mean, Joey Porter Jr.'s penalties were a problem. You can't be giving up those 15 yards that frequently. You can't be giving up holding penalties that frequently. Um, I do think that, you know, I, Ellis Brooks wasn't great in coverage. Brandon Smith wasn't great in coverage. Both were fine against the run. Brooks better than Smith against the run, but like, neither the best tackler on the planet. Like those were two spots that they could have upgraded. That being said, those are two good players. Like they were solid. They weren't, you know, there were times they would hurt you. There were times they would help you. It's not like they were massive negatives at all times. Both have a chance to play in the NFL. Both obviously left early for the NFL. Um, But I do think that there is, there is an opportunity for growth. If Kobe King can step up somehow, or if he's ready, or if they can get a transfer in at linebacker, if they play more four, two, five, like, to sort of upgrade those spots in one way or another. Again, with something that we we had done last week, which I've said it earlier, but you really should go and listen to that episode if you haven't, because there were some hot takes about next season that you're going to want to see so that you can come at John on Twitter and Kyle too. <laughs> Everybody loves a good bold prediction. Exactly. So let's, let's toss it, you know, way too early predictions for this defense for next season. May they be, you know, not so crazy, but let's hear it. This will be a top 10 defense in SB plus again. Like, I, th- I just think they're going to be really good. I think Adisa Isaac's really good. I think Curtis Jacobs is really good. I think Jair Brown's really good. I think Kalen King and Joey Porter Jr. can be really good. Like, 
they're, they're just really good, right? Like, and I will say, well, just to, to mix it up a little too, that Curtis Jacobs and Jair Brown are both, I don't know if I want to go that high. I'll go top two round picks in next year's draft. Curtis Jacobs, of course, does have eligibility left, so he could theoretically come back after that, but I think he's probably going to be too good to pass that up at this point. Now let's move over to my favorite sport. Yes. Basketball. John, what happened? What 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 is happening in the world of basketball? That's that <laughs> what, is my what question. Happened? That's a, that's what happened? We it. we let's start off with the loss to Ohio State. Yeah, so Penn State men's basketball lost on Sunday to Ohio State in a game that was um I <laughs> strangely enough, I think a positive sign for Penn State moving forward. Uh leading scorer, Seth Lundy, who you know people have been saying best offensive player. I would push back on that a little bit, but still leading scorer, Seth Lundy, and best defensive player, Seth Lundy, uh, was out and is currently, you know, uh, his status is day-to-day, according to, to Mike Shrewsbury at his press conference the other day. Uh, we'll see if he travels to Iowa. I think it's a possibility, probably. Uh, we'll see if it actually happens, though. But they're going to need him against Iowa, right? And we can get into why, but the, the, the impact on the Ohio State game was pretty apparent. Right, like EJ Liddell was his primary assignment when they played in December. And EJ, EJ Liddell got to the free throw line whenever he wanted. He got open shots whenever he wanted, and he kind of did whatever he wanted um, in the Penn State game on Sunday. And he was the primary reason they were able to score and they were able to get buckets when they needed them and ultimately closed out Penn State. Um, I still think that's a good sign, though, because when you play without a player that good, you play that close, you play on the road. I think they're a better team than they were in December. I think it's pretty clear that they are too, right? Like I think that they're playing better offensively. They're playing more cohesively defensively. Obviously getting Greg Lee help. Giovanni Scott's uh, been getting some minutes and been helpful at times, not helpful at others, but he's been you know probably a net neutral at this point. Um, but I do think that they're sort of looking at a, an opportunity that lies ahead of them, right? The Minnesota game this week gets canceled, or not canceled, sorry, postponed because Minnesota had positive tests in the COVID, uh, or positive COVID tests within the program. That's now three games canceled and one game postponed for Penn State, and they were all winnable, right? Right. Like, there's a, they're looking at three and one at worst in those games, uh, which would have really boosted the overall record. I talked a little bit about the NCAA tournament last week. They really got to get some games in to be able to make it, I think, or they really got to kill it in Big Ten play. It's possible they just kill it in Big Ten play, right? Like they've been playing really well. But this is a really important stretch coming up. Um, this Iowa game first off on Saturday – it's a 4.30 tip, I believe, um, at, at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. They're in Iowa City. It's a tough place to play. They're having a stripe out, I think we it, saw. It, yeah, it's it's uh, sold out. Yeah, so, you know, Saturday afternoon games are usually like the big ticket sellers. And Penn State, I think, yeah. only has one on the schedule this year, and they already played it against Purdue, Purdue, which is tough. Which, again, like we talked about, was in front of a very full Bryce Jordan Center, but no students were back. Right. COVID was surging. Yes. It, it was a the, tough situation. The, the to most play with. inopportune time to have that only home game. And kind of crazy that they only have that home game on the weekend this year. Yeah. But I digress. Um, Iowa coming off a loss to Rutgers last night and what was just a horrible basketball game to watch. Uh, I watched <laughs> that game. It was, you know, you, you want to get a better idea for the teams that, that, you know, the team your cover is about to play and watch Iowa a decent bit this year, anyways. Uh, Jordan Bohannon somehow still there. Uh, I could have sworn he was a senior when I covered Indiana three years ago and played <laughs> against Iowa. But I'm pretty sure he's Indiana. 45 at this point. Yeah. It'll be nice for his grandkids to see him play. Yeah, uh, in Carver Hawkeye. But no, I, I think you know he is a key part of their offense. He's going to make tough shots. He's going to come off screens. He's not going to have the ball in his hands a ton. He's going to be a major threat when he does and when he doesn't. 
but the biggest threat is Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray uh, was a, you know, maybe it's unfair to call him a non-factor in Big Ten play or last year, but he kind of was, right? Like he was a non-factor altogether. And now he's the leading scorer in all of college basketball. At least he was entering last night, tied with 23.9 points per game. Uh, they have that catastrophic offensive game against Rutgers that they lose. Uh, score under 50 points, both teams did. It was terrible to watch. I, uh, I do have a question about that because I, I feel like a lot of teams, or not teams, but a lot of specific players that have these crazy stat lines are kind of uh, uh, the best player on the team or like they don't have a lot around them. They're, they're you know, they're pushing to that player. And like we saw with... Uh, the Purdue, Lamar Stevens effect, if you will. The, yeah, the Lamar Stevens effect. And, and like we saw with Purdue, um, Jaden Ivey, uh, when we kind of, Penn State kind of clamped him down and, and held him to a lot of points, they were really successful. Do you think that's something that you're going to see against this uh, Iowa team? Yeah, I, I think, so I think Purdue's a special case where they got a bunch of guys who can right. score, right? No matter what yeah. you do to Ivy, like they're going to be opening things up. I do think that is more true with this Iowa team with Murray, right? Like if you can if you can sort of keep him below a certain level, like it would have been with Luca Garza when they had him. Like if you can keep him below a certain level, the rest of the offense kind of sinks to that level. Uh, but he's really good. He's going to be a top 10 pick in this year's draft. Like I, I feel pretty confident saying that. At the very least, he's going to be a top half of the first round guy. Like went from a total non-factor in, in an NBA, the NBA circle is like moving forward to like – a guy that can be a, a legitimate starter in the NBA moving forward, which is a big step to take. But he's a really good scorer, can score at all three levels, can get to the rim. Is big bodied, about six eight, two hundred. I think he's listed at two thirty. I don't remember exactly what he's at. That's a big um, man. He is big, uh, but he so so is Seth Lundy. Yeah, right. And like Lundy's like the perfect size for someone that you want to guard him. So right. Lund- if, if if he's not back, yeah, it, that's if, the question, right? Yeah, if if Lundy's not back, I mean. I don't know what I would do there, right? I think you probably put Pickett on him. I think you probably put Dread on him. I think you probably mix up coverages. I think you probably pull out that box and one like they did against Purdue, and you switch coverages up and just try and make things difficult for Keegan Murray. Because, again, this is like – there's not a ton of film on him other than this year playing at this level. He was never yeah. this level of guy, um, and he suddenly become that. So I think that is going to be, you know, uh, a, a really good test for Penn State, whether they have Lundy or not. And if they don't have Lundy – uh, it's a little more dire, right? Their chances go down. Uh, if they do have him, they've got a shot to get a really good road win. Um, and then they've got another road game after that in Indiana. And Indiana is like, again, that's not the kind of place that you want to play, right? Assembly Hall is a really tough environment, really really rowdy crowd. Um, they usually sell that place out no matter what. Uh, right. And the, the team, admittedly, not as good as Iowa. Right, Not 100%. as good offensively. Um, they, they, they struggle a bit with shooting especially, and they struggle to create offense generally. So we'll see what, what that matchup looks like. And, again, it's just it's tough to sort of dissect these matchups without knowing what Lundy, uh, what Lundy's status is for those games specifically. I, I would think, anyways, that he has a better chance of playing against Indiana than Iowa. But, you know, there's a chance he plays in both, I think. And, and so if he does – that's going to be so huge for this team because they really need them. Uh, and they, they're going to need them even more when Iowa comes back to the Bryce Jordan Center on January 31st for Penn State's next home game because that's the other thing with this Minnesota cancellation. They're looking at three road games in a row now. They go to Ohio State. They go to Iowa City. They go to Indiana. Like you, you Three games in a row, that's tough, right? Uh, they have a longer break now this week, but still like it sort of gets you out of rhythm too. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see how they sort of handle this cancellation and the fact that they're going to be on the road so much um, for this, whatever it is, two week stretch. Yeah. I think, I think I want to touch on Seth Lundy just a little bit more in his impact and how he has blossomed this year so far. 
I think that I'd love to hear your take on on the way that he has changed either his game or just his his role in the team because I think what we saw in previous teams was he was kind of a he, he was a we could see he had talent but I don't know if we could see that he was this talented especially defensively well I think that's the biggest thing right and Micah Shrewsbury said as much uh, and I think you know you talk to people they would they would all agree like this was not the Seth Lundy that it was in the program in years past like this was not the uh, the work ethic defensively. And even he mentioned in a press conference that he realized that, like, to make it in the NBA, you got to be able to defend Lamar Stevens, someone that uh, he, you know, we, I think they called each other, like, they, they were sort of like a brother brotherly relationship because they both went to Roman Catholic together in high school. They, you know, they both came to Penn State, both highly touted guys coming out of high school. And, and he's seeing Lamar blossom in the NBA because he's defending with the Cavs, right? Like, it's not the offensive game that's getting him there. It's the energy and the defense. And, and Lundy, like, is proving to be one of the best defenders in the Big Ten right now. Uh, and I think that's a mentality shift. I think it's an effort shift because everything else was there. The tools were there. Uh, basketball IQ was there. The opportunity was there because this was not a team that was, like, flush with wing defenders uh, in the past few years. And, and it, frankly, it isn't now either. Uh, and it's more about depth than anything else, though. They don't have a ton of guys that they can put out there. But, like, Lundy is a prototypical wing size, a prototypical wing defender, who can guard across four positions and in college can like reasonably guard a lot of fives too, because not like there's no Luca guards this, this year, right? Like right. The, Kofi Coburn is that right. If yeah, you're that, playing Illinois, but that's about it. Like, that is, yeah. and, and Zach Eady, like it's a different, those are outliers. Those are not the norm. So I think like you have a super switchable wing defender that can arguably want be one of the most impactful defenders in the big 10. And it's all because of his buy-in and the coaching staff's ability to get him to buy in. And I think to some extent too, like, the the philosophical shift defensively has helped him out, right? Old Pat Chambers defenses would try to generate steals, would try to generate blocks, would try to get going in transition, generate offense that way off their defense. This is a sturdier defense. This is a defense that's not going to take chances in passing lanes, uh, going to take those opportunities when they come to them rather than forcing them, uh, and is going to try and be more sturdy. And at the end of the day, he is a more sturdy defender who, like, if he's just not taking chances like that defensively, he can be sound and he can be solid and he can – be one of the best defenders in the conference. I think that's really interesting to kind of see that that shift. And again, like we talked about last episode, the, there are really big shifts in this team. When you're, I think that's the big thing. You're seeing it. A lot of guys are right. are getting better. Hundred um, percent. And there were, I guess, a, a stalling in progression for some guys under the previous regime. I don't think you're seeing that. I think you're seeing all of these guys improve to some extent, and not just from year to year, but as the year progresses. Right. And I think that's a, a a good sign, as you've said, and as I've said, even though I have no merit in what I'm <laughs> saying. But you know, the 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 progression of this team and the the coaching ability of Micah Shrewsbury is and his staff, because let's yeah. not forget he has a really good staff around him. And I think they're maximizing these guys. They're two. They're. It's one thing to have talent. It's another to put them all in situations where they can succeed at the highest level. I don't know that I could name anyone on the roster right now that is being forced to play a role that they aren't fit for yet, right? And they're all in positions to succeed. Um, you could have made the argument that they didn't have a primary, you know, offensive uh, score, a primary ball handler to begin the year, but I think it's pretty clear that Jalen Pickett is that guy, which then allows Sam Sessoms to be a secondary creator and a secondary ball handler, and it, it sort of allows everyone to be in that right role. And getting Pickett was so huge for this team. Right, like to to be able to get him and to put him in a position to be the guy, and then everyone sort of slots down where they should be from there. And 
he makes a ton of tough shots and Lundy makes a ton of tough shots. And honestly, they're not that desirable of shots. But if they're going in, that's fine for the time being. And I think that's, you know, probably uh, buoyed this offense a little bit, like just kept them kept them afloat. Um, and I think their their shots aren't falling for other guys. And I think eventually those tough shots might come down a little bit, but those open threes will start to go up for other guys and it'll end up balancing out. And that's the design of this offense, right? To get your best player's shots and to get good shots for guys that can shoot the ball. Now I want to talk about what I affectionately call the John Sauber curse uh, of the <laughs> podcast, where um, obviously a loss to Ohio State was not not the result that you would have necessarily loved to see with your prediction about postseason. And no, but I don't think it was totally like I think it was within the realm of possibility. Yeah. So looking forward ahead now, you know, and I know this is a huge variable because we don't know Lundy's availability and we don't know, it, like we've said, he is a big key piece to this defense. And if we're going to, if you're going to play well against Iowa, if you're going to play, you know, well against Indiana, you need those defensive pieces. Where do you see this team after this long road stretch? I, th- I think they got to get one of these, right? I think the next three games... So the two games against Iowa, the home and home, uh, and the game against Indiana, I think they got to go two and one, and I think that means getting one of these two games, and I think they probably will. Uh, don't really know which one. If Lundy plays against Iowa, they might be able to get both. Um, I would lean toward them beating Indiana um, because, you know, honestly, I think they're a better team than Indiana. Uh, you know, I've, I've followed Indiana pretty closely. Trace Jackson Davis is probably the best player on either team, but you know, the two through four might all be on Penn State's roster, so. Uh, that that is obviously going in their direction, but yeah, I, I think they got to go one and one in these two. It's really hard to win on the road in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> you hear it all the time; it's it's super cliche, but it is true. Uh, we just watched Iowa lose at Rutgers, uh, a Rutgers team that did not look good when it played Penn State. Uh, not at all last week. So yeah. like, you know, you, it, it's really tough to do. And these are two really difficult environments. So go into these two games, steal one of them, go back to the BJC, one game below five hundred in the Big Ten, beat Iowa there you know, you're back at 500 and, and you're sort of back on the right track to get to where you need to be. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in this week. My name is Noah Reif. You can find me on Twitter at, at Noah Reif. I do intern things, so you who do, knows what I'll be covering? You do them wonderfully. I Thank you. John, <laughs> <laughs> John where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at John Sauber. Uh, you can find all of uh, Kyle and I's work at, at the Senate Daily Times. Of course, subscribe to the Senate Daily Times at yes. senatedaily.com backslash sports podcast. Get a discounted rate, digital ask access to all of the sports content on the website, which includes Noah's wonderful photos. Yes. Um, There's yeah. subscriber exclusives all the time that are, mm, the yeah. takes are amazing. It's the, the analysis. That's where you're going to get that. It's, it's true. Generally subscriber exclusive, especially yeah. those good, bad, uglies for football. Yeah. If you want to be the guy in the stands, it's like, oh, well, you're wrong. And I here's why. <laughs> you got to subscribe because John gives you all the talking points you could ever need. And you, you we, we all know those people who we sit next to at the game and we start chatting with them and then they just have horrendous takes. You don't want to be that person. You don't. <laughs> so make sure you subscribe. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Listen, well, the, the takes are wonderful. The takes are good. Uh, if you guys want to follow Kyle um, on Twitter, it's at Kyle J Andrews underscore, and he will have tons of high school coverage as well on centerdaily.com. We'll see you all next week, and thanks for listening. Uh-huh.